I'm Marty Dodson. And I'm Clay Mills. Welcome to Songtown on Songwriting. We've got a very special show for you today. I'm going to interview Clay Mills about the book he wrote and just released with Bill O'Hanlon called Mastering Melody Writing. And Clay's going to give you some melody tips and some ideas of what you would learn if you read that book and uh, why you would need that book. After that, Clay and I are going to talk about some of the biggest factors we see that keep songwriters from being successful. So uh, buckle your seatbelt. Hope you learn a lot and have a good time. All right, everybody, we got a special guest for you today. It's not a stranger, but he is the author of the newly released and number one book on songwriting at the moment called Mastering Melody Writing. So welcome, Clay Mills. Man, it's great to be here. Get to be a guest on your own podcast. I know. How cool is that? <laughs> That's pretty pretty wild. So tell us just, I mean, just a little introduction to why you wrote this book. Well... Over the last, I would say, probably my entire career as a songwriter, I've been on this quest to figure out, you know, I've written a lot of different genres, starting with jingles and ad music, and we would do classical one day, we would do dance music the next day. I morphed into a country songwriter, we're, you know, doing that whole thing. So in order to survive, I basically had to figure out with melody what are techniques that work in all genres? What do they have in common? Um, and so I started finding these timeless techniques to melody and started teaching it in you know, our Songtown Masterclasses. And it, it just kind of became this wealth of knowledge that I've accumulated. So I decided to put it all into a book and organize it into a system called the PRA system, um, Pattern Repetition and Arc. And basically, if you master these three elements of writing, I think you can pretty much write commercially in any genre or non-commercially. I mean, it'll just teach you to write hookier songs that and more memorable songs. And I can testify. I mean, I go and watch some of your videos that contain some of this information from time to time. And then I challenge myself to try that technique. And it's been really effective. You know, I've I've turned in songs and my publisher go, wow, this doesn't sound like you. It's really interesting melody. <laughs> and it's because I tried one of those techniques. Well, and can you, can you give us a little bit, um, kind of a teaser of some, some things that people might learn in the book? You don't have to give away the whole farm, but yeah, just a couple well, things. I think one of the big things is learning over the last, I would say seven or eight years, in all genres of music, rhythmic patterns have become really important. So, um, you know, learning to create hooky little rhythmic patterns is almost become more important than what notes you choose to, to place on those rhythm patterns. So um, for me personally, I just started focusing more on creating hooky rhythm patterns. Now, that's not to say you can't, you, you shouldn't learn all about chords and melody note selection and all of that. But I think focusing in, for instance, I discuss a thing called my line plus system with, um, you know, the, the primary one that's used in music is line plus three. What I mean by that is you'll have a melody line and then it'll be followed by three distinct hits. So let me Rick roll you one time and bring mm -hmm. out an old Rick Ashley song never gonna give you up 
never gonna make you cry. So basically it's like never gonna one, two, three, never gonna one, two, three. And so I started noticing once I kind of registered that in my head, I started going back to classical music, um, 1812 Overture. Bum, 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 one, two, three. Bum, 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 one, two, three. I started noting Beatles songs, Yesterday, um, uh, you know, in all genres, genres you know, um, trying to think um, if you look at um, The Weeknd or NF, some pop groups that are out right now, and, and this is everywhere. So it kind of started me on this journey once I figured out line plus three, and then I go, okay, well, are there other combinations going on? And so then it was like, oh, there's line plus two. Or what about this Dan and Shay song? It has two plus line. Or this Thomas Rhett song that's three plus line. So people were reversing the patterns, mixing them up, and it just started this whole um, realization of approaching melody writing from patterns and creating these patterns. And so once I started teaching this a few years ago in my melody master classes, I could just see the light bulbs going off. And it became apparent that um, this is something that's everywhere, but as writers, sometimes we don't see the forest for the trees kind of thing. What what are some of the biggest mistakes you see people making with melodies? And and I ask that question to kind of get at why they need this book. I mean, yeah. you, you know, what's what, what are some of the big mistakes people make? The biggest mistake I see is probably um, not having enough contrast um, between sections, especially today. You know, I take the approach that the Bee Gees had when they were writing. You know, way ahead of their time, they wrote four choruses and then figured out what order to put them in so as a result they had a hooky verse a hooky pre-chorus a hooky chorus a hooky bridge they all sounded like choruses within a song so today music is very much like that so you know i look for okay if i have a real rhythmic choppy verse when i get to the pre-chorus Maybe I want to throw in some long held notes so that that sets up the chorus. When you go back to these distinctive patterns in the chorus that are more rhythmic, we have that kind of tension and release. And so, you know, note ranges. If you're, if you're all over your chorus money note in the verse, then you've kind of already shot all your bullets before you got to the chorus. So what I mean by that is... If your money note in the chorus is this note that maybe it's the high note in the chorus that just really pulls the listener in. Well, if you're hitting that high note in your verse, then when it gets to the chorus, it's not special. It's kind of like if your title of a song is um, every time you go away and then you put the words go away throughout your verse. Well, when you get to the chorus, they're not going to mean anything special. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I think that's one of my big challenges melodically is that I, I, everything kind of tends to be in the same range and it tends to be similar phrasing wise. So that's something yeah. that, and, oh, go ahead. You know, also 
a big thing that I'm seeing that you could get away with 10 years ago in writing or even five years ago that you can't get away with now is starting if every line of your verse starts on the downbeat of the bar well when you get to the chorus you better not start on the downbeat of the bar you need contrast so come in you know beat two or come in ahead of the downbeat with some pickup notes um so that's another way of adding contrast and so throughout the melody book i talk about a whole checklist of things that you can check to make sure you have contrast in your melody between sections and i think that's pretty much the biggest mistake i see being made right now is there's just too much similarity between the verses and the chorus gotcha do you you also have a um a website that people who buy the book can access is that correct yes so the challenge with writing about melody is that you can't hear the written word you know you can imagine what it sounds like but if i'm talking about a melody technique if i'm going hey maroon five on this song does these cool little interval jumps followed by a static line well if you don't know that song you don't know what i'm talking about so i put together a website that has you know 100 plus songs on that website that i talk about in the book so if you're in chapter one you're like okay i want to check out this technique then you can have you know the website open and just instantly hear the song rather than trying to track them down yourself online. That's awesome. I think that's a great resource. You know, it's kind of eliminates the work for the reader of having to go find those things. Absolutely. A yeah. very cool idea. And they're all YouTube videos on the website. So the writers actually get paid and we're not just, um, you know, using people's work and, and for our benefit, you know, it's, it's, you know, we're both professional songwriters. So that's important to us that, you know, things are done in a way where the songwriter gets paid down the food chain. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you go to that website, you'll click on link, it'll take you to the YouTube video of that song and you can study that technique. Yeah. You know, what do you recommend? Cause we're assuming that everyone listening to this is going to buy this book. So how do you recommend they implement that stuff into their daily writing? Well, that's the great thing about learning melody. And I talk about this in my master class is when you're learning a technique, I really suggest you put it into practice as soon as possible. You know, it's kind of like sometimes when you get a song idea, writing it right away can sometimes be better than letting a year go by and you're like, well, what was that? You know, I'm, what did I mean by that? Mm -hmm. So I'm big on putting things into practice right away. So throughout the book, um, I'll discuss a technique and then at the end of the chapter, there'll be exercises where you can, you know, put that into your writing and start, you know, practicing it immediately. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, a, I read the book through one time and then I, went back and I start and I would stop at a technique I'd stop reading and I'd pick up my guitar and I would experiment with that technique and then you know then I would read some more after I you know after I kind of felt like I had that and sometimes I'd wait a few days and, and try to in, implement that one skill into my melody I was working on so 
you know, one thing that's helpful for somebody like me is to break it down like that and just do, do one thing at a time, you know, take one technique, experiment with it, work it into your song, and then, um, take another technique and, and learn about that one and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that, um, the, the great thing about learning melody is that say you practice a technique well, it's just basically like learning new words for your vocabulary. So maybe I don't sit down today and go, okay, I want to write a song that uses line plus two plus five. I, but since I already have mastered how to do that, if it comes out naturally as I'm writing, it just becomes part of my vocabulary and it sounds natural. So it's important that you go through the motions of developing the vocabulary so that when you do sit down and you get inspired, you have this whole palette of patterns that you can work with. Yeah, it's like our friend Jason Duke always tries to work the word chimichanga into a song. <laughs> and it, he may not get it in there tomorrow, but he will eventually get it in there, you know. Yeah, the, the other thing I found after reading the book was I would have – I would have a title come, you know, that I would come up with. And as I was kind of messing with how I would sing that title, I would think, Oh, this, this title really lends itself to like line plus three, like maybe it's a three word hook or something, you know, I'll go, Oh, maybe that, that would be that technique or maybe it could be two plus line or something like that. And so I think it, like you say, learning those things, kind of just getting them in, in your vocabulary lets you connect the dots sometimes when, uh, you have a title or, or something's going on in the song and you, you just think, oh, that's that would be the perfect technique right here. Yeah, I'm big on kind of pulling out, when I have a title, pulling out the rhythm, that, you know, that makes it that hooky kind of memorable thing. So, for instance, you have a song, um, Must Be Doing Something Right. So there's a lot of ways you could sing that, but you guys did a great job because... You broke down the syllables, must be, doing, something, right. So you have these two little, must be, doing, something, right. Must be, doing, something, right. And it was the perfect way to sing that when you just break it down into the syllables that are going on with that title. There's a lot of ways you could, you know, have broken that down, but that was cool. I often look for patterns of three in titles so if there's a seven syllable title then i'll take you know a pattern of three and a pattern of three and then one on the end and make those two patterns of three the same melody like dun, 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 dun. like so it's one two three one two three and whatever your notes you do on that first three you do on the second three and it makes it a little hookier that's awesome. Well, what what would you say to encourage everyone to get this book? Um, I would just say that I've saved you a lot of time because it took me, I, I know Marty's like me, it took us probably until we were 40 to, to start having big hits, you know? And so I picked up a lot of stuff by trial and error over a lot of genres starting out in New York um, coming to Nashville. So no matter what style of music you're working in, I think this book will save you a lot of trial and error that I went through, you know, and 
Um, I wish I had had the book, you know, yeah, me too. I was 20. I don't know if I would have paid attention to it because I thought I knew everything. <laughs> 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 but I could tell you that um, I should have read this book. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, the whole thing Clay and I try to do with Songtown is to help people avoid our mistakes. You know, we, we, if, if we can cut years off your learning curve, you know, then you're ahead of where we were when we started. So this is really a great book. Um, I've learned a lot from it and, um, I'm, I'm proud that it came out on Songtown Press and we're excited to have it out there so people can get it on Amazon. They can get it on book baby, pretty much anywhere that you buy your books. You can yeah. find it. We'll, we'll have a link in the show notes and uh, go check it out. Came out yesterday and shot up to number one on Amazon. So. Oh, no, that's awesome. Really, so, really Ma Mastering Melody Writing is the title. It's written by Clay Mills and Bill O'Hanlon, a Songtown member. And we've also got two other books. One, uh, The Songwriter's Guide to Mastering Co-Writing and Song Building on Mastering Lyric Writing. So check them all out. And uh, Clay, thanks for being here and uh, telling us about the book. You got it. So now I want to play you a song from a Songtown member. Uh, it's written by Dale Giffen and Darren Golden, and it's called I Am Home. Got a lot of miles on the road Underneath marmalade skies And no matter how many towns come and go I'll always be by your side They say life ain't about where you end up And that's been a belief from the start I am home cold day I leave all my troubles outside the door and that's where they stay wherever I am I don't fear the rain cause I know that shelter ain't far I am home wherever
Hope you enjoyed that beautiful song. So Clay and I had another discussion about uh, what keeps people from succeeding as songwriters, and hopefully you'll find some things in there useful uh, and educational. So here we go. So Clay Mills is here with us today on the podcast. We're talking about what keeps people from succeeding as writers. And uh, I've got a few things I'll throw out. Clay's going to add some stuff. Um, but I think the biggest thing, and this this is one reason we started uh, Songtown, I think one of the biggest things we, we've we seen in people is that they think they're already, they've already arrived. You know, they... they they kind of come to town or they come into the business or in contact with pros in the business with this attitude of, you know, my songs are better than the ones on the radio and the business is just holding me back. People don't want to let me in. Um, Clay, you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, I mean, first of all, I can relate because when I first came to town and was fortunate enough, I think I was probably early 30s I got a publishing deal and they set me up to write with some Hall of Fame writers two two different Hall of Fame writers and I walk in the room on two different days and both days I can tell you I thought I was you know incredible writer full of myself well these guys made me eat some humble pie because their ability to string together words that made you feel something that you knew exactly what they were talking about and mix in cool little melody things. I mean, it was like an eye opener for me. I had no idea how much I had to learn. And I think that's, that's one thing we try to do at Songtown is show people where the bar is mm-hmm. so that, that, you know, it becomes apparent, oh, okay, you know, my songs don't have this and I need to get this and then we show you how to do it. Yeah, I think one of the biggest aha moments we see at our Songtown uh, creative retreats where people write with pro writers is people come out of there going, I can't do what they do. (laughs) And what we try to, you know, what we say to everyone is, no, you can't do that yet. And they couldn't do that when they were at your stage of the game either. And it's, I think it's just really important for people to, you know, if you feel like you've arrived and you're better, than anything or anybody you're probably going to have a hard time making it because um, that kind of ties into my next point of of a thing we see a lot is just an unwillingness to learn because if you think you've got it all figured out then you don't need to learn anything and so you know I think if if, if you if those things are crossing your mind of like I think my, my songs are better than the ones on the radio you know people just trying to keep me out of this business you need to take a step back because that attitude's not going to get you anywhere. And and the attitude that's going to help you more is to come to people and say, can you help me understand why my songs are not as good as the ones on the radio? You know, if you, if someone comes to me and goes, you know, I think my songs are really good. I think they're competitive with the ones on the radio, but I can't get anywhere with them. I go, Oh, okay. This person is willing to learn. You know, and they they're realizing that maybe their perception is not correct of their of their music, and then we can break down what the problem is and and help them figure out how to make their, their songs better. and And so uh, that's that's number one on my list is just kind of those tying those two things in of like if you're thinking that you've made it already and not being willing to learn, 
you're going to have a hard time succeeding. In my melody masterclass each year, um, the very first thing I talk about is what I call inspired listening. So every time you listen to music, if you're looking for, you know, even if it's not your genre of music that you like or whatever, if you're always looking for something you can use and you kind of eliminate these, these opinions. I, for me, opinions just reinforce what you think you already know. They, they don't mm -hmm. give you any growth. So I try to keep my students open. Let's listen this week. Let's listen to five songs and let's, you know, pick two things from those five songs that you think you could incorporate into your writing. And so by doing that, you're always learning. You're always growing. And you're not going, oh, man, I hate rap music. It's, you know, that you're not going to get anything. If you're in a, in a, you know, a dentist office and there's a song, you have two choices. You could say, oh, I hate Muzak. Or you can go, wow, that's a cool little thing. The melody is playing off the snare like they're in a conversation together. You know, mm -hmm. so you have a choice in that moment. You can learn something. You can use it for your own writing or you can you know, have an opinion about it and just be stagnant. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you ever learn from hating something, No, you know, or, or disliking something. You, you only learn when you're willing to be open and, and to, um, you know, if, if there's a song I don't really prefer, I go, man, I wonder what it is about that song that 10 million people liked. Yeah. You know, even though I don't, what did 10 million people see in that song? And I go, Oh, maybe it's this catchy little uh, rhythmic pattern. Maybe it's this uh, section that's real rhymy, you know, it's, it tickles your ear with, with cool rhymes and that kind of stuff, you know, but there's always something to learn if you're open. And if, and if you're just going around hating on things, you're not ever going to learn. Yeah. I mean, history is full of singers that weren't technically great singers that people could go you know, Bob Dylan, for instance, you could go, oh, hey, he's got this scratchy, ugly voice. He's not on pitch. You know, I hate this. Or you can go, man, the way he communicated to millions of people and made you feel what he was going through, made you see the story that he was talking about, how each word that came off of his lips had this focus to it that just pulled you in, you know, so two ways of looking at it. Yeah. You know, I think another thing I see in a lot of people is an unwillingness to change. You know, if people come and they say, well, this is just what I do. And, and I say, well, you know, what you do was really popular back in the nineties, but what you do is not working. So, you know, if, if you're just writing for yourself and, or if you're the artist and that's what you want to put out, that's great. But if you're trying to be commercially successful, I think you have to be willing to change with the times, you know, um, when bro country came out, that's, I don't prefer a lot of that. And that's not how I grew up, but I, I had to find ways to survive during that time by writing other things that were working or writing with people who were writing that kind of thing and, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think it's super important to be open to change. It's kind of like, um, you know, if I'm making a, a product for the market, uh, let's say I'm, and, and I go, well, I'm, I'm, I've made the best VCR ever invented. 
and I go to Walmart and Target to try to get them to carry it, and they go, well, nobody uses VCRs anymore. You know, it's it's that kind of thing. It's If I'm only writing 90s music, then people go, well, that would have been great, but you're just a little late, you know, to the party. I mean, ultimately, songs are a conversation between the singer and the audience are, you know, a deeper way the songwriter wrote it and he's having a conversation with the artist i mean the audience so if you're not speaking the language of the audience how are you going to have a conversation it's impossible so you could sit there and go well i'm i'm going to write you know using this language from the 1990s that no one's speaking right now and that's fine you have that option but if you want to have a conversation, you've got to speak the language your audience is speaking. Yeah, and it, you, you can't, you know, it, it's like if you're carrying on a conversation with your 90-year-old great-grandfather, he may be using words, you go, what? It? I don't even know what that is, you know, papa. And, and artists don't want to come across that way on stage. You know, they want to come across as current and modern and relevant to an audience. And so... You know, you have to, to grow and change in that regard if you want to be successful as a writer. And, you know, people go, well, you know, classic music was better. Well, artists grow and change, too. The Beatles started out writing I Want to Hold Your Hand, which was a little pop ditty, and they grew and evolved into something. They went through the psychedelic period because that's what was going on in society. They wrote songs like the Beach Boys, like Bob Dylan, because they were influenced by what was going on in the world. So I think if we just allow ourselves getting back to what we were talking about before, rather than hating on things around you, if you're open to the world around you and the music around you, then the songs you write are going to be more universal and they're going to affect more people. They're going to touch more people than, you know, being stuck in your opinion world. Yeah. And I think too, you know, I see a lot of people that, that don't even listen to the genre they're trying to write. You know, they go, Oh, I hate modern country or I hate pop music and where it's at. And yet they're trying to write that, you know, and, and I always encourage people find something you love and write, write that kind of thing. You know, don't, if you hate it, you're not going to succeed at it in writing that genre and you're not going to change a whole genre so you either kind of have to write what's going on or you have to find another place for your music. And I think a lot of it, people are afraid if they're too open, they'll lose their individuality. And it, it's really not about that. It's really about finding what you do and who you are, what your voice is, and figuring out how to frame that in today's market. So you're not going to change who you are at your core. Um, you know, you're always going to have your perspective and your voice, but you've got to figure out how to make that work in today's world. Uh, that's great. Yeah. I, I think another thing that I see a lot and we see in Songtown is people being, they're still trying to write based on the music they grew up on. Right. You know, they, they're kind of stuck in that land of, of well, I grew up loving the Eagles and James Taylor. So every song I sing, you know, I write kind of sounds like that. And, you know, sometimes when I'm in a mentoring session with those people, I can even get, you know, I'll go, you grew up listening to John Denver, didn't you? They go, yes. How did you know? I'm like, well, cause you're writing 
John Denver songs, you know, it's like songs you would have pitched to him. And, and so I think it's really important. Uh, you know, the beauty of the music we grew up on is that there's cool things we can bring back. You know, there's elements we can, of those songs we can bring back, but we can't afford to get stuck in that world where we're just writing something that sounds like something the Beatles would have done back in 1970, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, the music we grew up on is imprinted in our DNA forever. We're never going to lose that. So I have students that say, well, yeah, I spend all my time listening to music I grew up on. And I'm like, well, that's that's a wasted opportunity because that music, you already have that imprinted. It's never going away. It's part of your DNA. So you don't have to worry about ever losing that. It's there. Listen to new music and soak up new ideas. And then when you merge the two, you're going to come up with something, you know, uniquely you. Yeah, when when I had Must Be Doing Something Right Out, we at the time, there was not really any R&B flavored country music going on. And, you know, there was an era back like Conway Twitty did a lot of that kind of thing. And there had been a time when that was really popular, but we were able to kind of bring that back with a fresh approach to it. And, you know, I had a lot of people say, wow, that sounds so fresh. Like, no, that's really old. You know, (laughs) what we did was we brought something old and and we kind of just freshened it up. Right. But you presented it in a way it's like whenever every 15 years, there's a new child prodigy blues guitar player. But even though he's playing a blues style, there's something so incredibly whether it was Kenny Wayne Shepherd or Joe Bonamassa, these guys, you know, they bring something that they have when they're teenagers and when they're in their early 20s to an old style that's completely fresh and fits today. You know, so it's it's really cool how you can pull from the past, but make it into something that fits in today's market. Yeah, I think our song didn't sound like something Conway Twitty would have done, but it's obviously influenced by that style of, of R&B, blending R&B and country. Yeah. And f- the final one I wanted to talk about was, I, th- I think we see a lot of people that are that get too attached to their work, so attached that they can't be objective. They can't tell what's good and what's bad. They can't let go of things that are kind of fatal flaws in in their songs, and it's they they kind of take the attitude of, well, this is my baby. This I was inspired to write this, and this is how it's going to be. I think that presents a real challenge if you want to succeed, uh, because you have to be willing to let go of that stuff. What suggestions would you have for people that feel like they get too attached to their work? Well, you know, personally, I think that. Was it Stephen King that says, you know, don't be afraid to kill your precious little darlings? Kill your darlings, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and what he means, you know, if there's, I am never afraid to replace a line in a song, a great line in a song for the right line in a song. Mm-hmm. So if I have to take a great line out because it's not right for that song, then I don't have any qualms about that. And I haven't always you know, felt that way. But like I said, early on, when I got my first publishing deal, I witnessed writers who had written some amazing songs doing that. So it opened my eyes and I go, okay, so if you're struggling with that, just try it. You 
you can rewrite a song and you can always go back to the original version. But often I find when we put the time and effort into coming up with something better that we end up do coming up with something better. Yeah. And I had a friend too, that she kept a notebook of great lines that didn't make the song. And, and so she would write down the, if she had a great line that didn't work in that song, she would take it out, but she would put it in this notebook and try to use it somewhere else, you know? So she would try to fit that into a song later. So it's not like your great line is gone forever. No. You know, you still got that, but you have to do what's best for the song, you know, and you, you can't be so attached. Uh, we, we have, we run into a lot of people. That's one of the reasons we wrote the co-writing book that we wrote is that we run into a lot of people who really struggle to work with other people because they get so attached to something, you know, so they'll, they'll throw out an idea, but they'll only write the idea if it can be their way. And even if the other people in the room don't want to write it that way, or they throw out a line that they think is great and they go to you know they'll fight to the death for that great line and i think you know it's important to remember that if, if you take the attitude that the song is king and everybody in this room is here to serve this song and make this song the best it can be that can help you learn to let go of you know okay this is a great line but it doesn't make this song great and so i'm gonna take we're gonna take it out we're gonna find the right line that works yeah and i think you're correct about we haven't really said this, and so I want to just say it out in the open here, that co-writing is probably one of the biggest skills that you can possess as a songwriter today. Because when you start co-writing, you can say if you and I write a song, Marty, well, your publisher can pitch that song to artists, my publisher can pitch that song to artists. If we bring in a third writer like Mark Irwin, now we have three writers three brains you know working to create this great song and then we have three teams of people working to get it recorded um, it just really starts working in your favor every publisher i've ever met says the way they find writers to sign is say if i don't have a deal and i'm writing with marty dotson his publisher likes the songs we're writing then his publisher might call me and go, hey, you know, we really like what you're doing. You want to sign with us. So it's a great way to, A, come up with a better song because you'll have two or three great minds working on a song. But B, um, the business side of it starts exploding the more you co-write. Yeah, and it it can help you if you struggle to let go of things, you know, if, if you're if you're wanting to co-write, then you have to learn how to, you know, negotiate those things and, and how to talk it out of like, well, I, I think this is a great line. Well, does it work for this song? Oh, I don't know. You know, and, and you learn to have those conversations, but I, I think the lack of um, objectivity really holds a lot of people back. And, and that kind of, it goes back to that first point of, you know, people that think they've already arrived and, but it even comes down to, you know, just being able to write a song that's great. If you can't let go of things, um, it, it's really tough to make some to write something that's going to succeed because you're just so hung up on um, things that are precious to you, whether or not they work in, in favor of the song. Right. And just because you got inspired and wrote a song in 15 minutes doesn't mean that it it's not going to be a better song if you spend two more hours rewriting it. Yeah, I had an artist come to me one time and he said, listen, I want you to hear this song. I wrote it on 
on the bus with the band in 15 minutes. And he played it for me. And I had no idea what it was even talking about. You know, and he said, what do you think? And I said, sounds like a song you'd write on the bus with a band in 15 minutes. Because <laughs> I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. And he said, oh, really? You know, he was kind of, but he was kind of attached to it and because he thought it fell out so fast it must be great. But when he played for me, that I had no idea what he's talking about. So, And, you know, songs can fall out quickly and be great songs. But in every case I've ever seen that, it's been with a writer that writes every day and is just firing on all cylinders so that when they get that inspiration, they can write it really quickly. If you're sitting around waiting for inspiration and you write one song a month, your tools are not going to be sharp. So right. that 15 minute song is going to sound like a 15 minute song. Whereas if you've been writing for a couple hours every day, um, that 15 minute song has all the backing of all that work you've been putting into it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I didn't mean that a quick song can't be great, but uh, you know, I'm, my point is just that we have to learn to be objective and, and look at it and go, well, that felt, that fell out really quick. That doesn't mean it's great. Right. So I need to get some, you know, I need to get some other opinions on it or get, uh, get an objective opinion anyway. Yeah. And I think that if you're at the mercy of inspiration where you only write once a month when you get inspired, I think that it can fool you into thinking, Oh, this, this came to me. So it's gotta be good. Mm -hmm. But I think if you're in the habit of writing more often, like pro writers do, um, then you have that perspective going, yeah, this is a quick song. It sounds like a quick song or this is a quick song, but it's really good. You know, you can tell the difference. Absolutely. So to summarize what we've been talking about, if you want to succeed with your music, be willing to learn, be willing to change, use things from the music you grew up on to influence and, and bring coolness to the things you write, but don't write things that sound retro and uh, don't get, too attached to your to your babies you know be willing to do whatever it takes to make each song great instead of fighting for your line or your melody or or whatever it might be yeah all right thanks for being here this week uh, take care and we'll see you next tuesday we hope you enjoyed the podcast and that if you do you'll go subscribe rate us tell your friends all that kind of thing give us a review any of that's really helpful um, if you're interested in any of the books, check the links in the show notes. Um, we're proud to be a part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network, and there's a bunch of other great podcasts there for songwriters, so go check that network out, and uh, hopefully you'll find some other things uh, there that would be great resources for you as writers. Keep writing. Have a great week. We'll see you next Tuesday.